It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Hello, neighbors. How are you guys? Good to see you all. It's uh, good to be here. I'm Jim Oslin. I'm the campus pastor up in McPherson. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I hope I do today. Uh, but it's good to come and spend the morning here with everyone at South Hutch. Eric and I did a pastor swap. He's up in McPherson sharing with them this morning. So uh, it's always good when we get a chance to do that and get to see everyone. It's great to be a part of a church like Journey where we are spread out in three different locations, but we are one church. And uh, so it's always a, a joy to come back and see people here and to see uh, each one of you and what you're up to here in this place. Uh, before I get started, I have to mention that I am fighting a little back pain right now. Some of you are aware of that. Some of you know that. Uh, that's why I have a stool over here in case I decide I'm going to sit down for a little bit. Uh, bear with me. I'll try to keep you engaged and uh, you try to stay hooked up with what I have to share with you this morning. But before I, I do, I need to make mention of a few sponsors. This message is brought to you by Hydrocodone, uh, Lyrica, and Aleve. So uh, if you've never had a pastor preach to you while on drugs... Stay tuned. It could be interesting. I don't know what I'm going to say. But I am uh, good, to, good to be here and share with you about our neighborhood series. So two weeks ago, Eric would have opened this series called Neighboring. Uh, and he talked about the late, great Mr. Rogers. Uh, Mr. Rogers gave us all this picture of what the world should be like. Uh, he introduced us to uh, some people in his neighborhood. It seemed like he knew everybody in, in his neighborhood when it came to the television show. Uh, but I always wondered, is that really who Mr. Rogers is, right? Is that who he is off the screen, or is this just a character he's playing? Uh, and so I did a little research into Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers and his family, and found out that he was actually this kind of a guy. Like, this is the type of life he lived on a regular basis. And you may not know this, but Mr. Rogers was a Presbyterian pastor. And so he was teaching these things to children through the PBS television program, but these weren't new things that he was teaching. They were things of Scripture, things that Jesus had taught to people, and he was packaging them in a way that was applicable for children. I did an amazing job. had a tremendous impact. Uh, I still look back on my childhood and know it was shaped by Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. And, and so uh, these, these principles that he taught, uh, they stick with us, and they have an impact on our lives. But last week you would have heard also about this, uh, this way that we're supposed to reveal the abundance of God's kingdom uh, as, as the way we live our lives in the neighborhood. And the reality is there's a lot of people who live among us who have a viewpoint of scarcity, right? There's never enough, uh, and yet in God's kingdom there's always more than enough. There's an abundance, right? We see this in Jesus and the way in which he's uh, with people and he shares food with them, right? There's always more than enough. There's uh, wine in the, at the wedding, there's always more wine and new wine and better wine when there's Jesus around. Uh, we see this in the feeding of the 5,000, right? Where someone offers five loaves, two fish, and what happens? There's more than enough to feed the, the, the crowds, the thousands of people that gathered. That's the kind of mindset that those of us who live in the kingdom of God are meant to have. That there's more than enough to go around, that we are meant to share this life with other people. And yet, the world around us tells us quite a different message, Right? That there's never enough, you better get what's yours, and you better hold tight to it, because someone might take it from you. So this vision that Eric shared with you all last week about this abundance in our neighborhood, and seeing life abundantly with our neighbors, it, it's this big, grand vision, right? And it's hard to kind of get a hold of it. In some ways, I know I, I think about that, and I look at my own neighborhood, and it seems like my, that's kind of the neighborhood of make-believe, right? No one actually lives in a neighborhood like that. That's not how it really works. 
Mr. Rogers just kind of presents this utopia idea of what neighboring looks like. But can it be really possible here and now? But that's kind of where we want to pick up today. Because the reality is we need to make this more practical. We have to break this down into smaller steps that we can begin to actually start to see this grand vision lived out. And the first thing that we must do is to focus on one person, and that's ourselves, being a good neighbor ourselves. Learning to connect with people who live closest to us, our actual physical neighbors. We need to learn to know them. In some cases, maybe you just need to meet them. If you don't know them yet, just start by meeting them. And we need to spend time with them, learn to listen to them, to understand who they really are. There's a tremendous power of just being with people, of learning their story, of discovering their gifts and abilities, of appreciating their perspectives. That's where we turn our attention today. What does it mean to really know our neighbors? How do we do that? And who are our neighbors anyways? So let's turn to the Bible as look to this together and see what we can learn. We're going to first look at Luke chapter 10. If you have a Bible that you brought here today, you can pull that out. If not, you can grab one that's there in the, in the seats around you. Uh, or feel free to follow along on screen as I read some of the, the passage here this morning. So in this passage, Luke chapter 10, probably familiar story to many of you. Uh, Jesus is questioned by an expert in the law and how to inherit eternal life. And Jesus, as he often does, replies with a question, saying this. He says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So then this uh, expert in the law, of course, he repeats to him. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. So the entire law, all 613 commandments of the Old Testament, somehow get boiled down together into this two-for-one deal that Jesus offers. Love God, love your neighbor. That's what it means to really follow the law and inherit eternal life. To love your neighbor is centrally tied to love of God. In fact, we can't really love God without loving people. Maybe some of you remember our series last fall on 1 John. And we looked at this and we saw this time and time again, this connection between our love for God and love for people, and how these two things have to go together. That's what we see here again in Jesus. But the lawyer wasn't quite satisfied, was he? So he presses on a little farther, and he asks another question, right? So he says, and who is my neighbor? And the reply, Jesus says this story, this parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and he saw him, and he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? 
The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This parable of the Good Samaritan, something that's probably very familiar to many of us, teaches us that anyone, in fact everyone, can be our neighbor. Uh, We should see all people with compassion when they're in need, and we can go to them and we can offer whatever God has given to us, right? So anyone can be our neighbor. Everyone is our neighbor. So you can also have advanced degrees in theology. You could be serving a church professionally or hold important positions in the community. And guess what? You can still blow it when it comes to being a good neighbor. None of those things really matter in what it means to be a good neighbor. So the fact that Jesus uses a Samaritan, this outcast, this one that should not have been even thought to be a hero in a story, tells us something about how Jesus understands a neighbor. And that is that anyone can be a good neighbor. I think the biggest problem for those of us in the church is that we have made this call to love people, to love our neighbors, so general, so wide, so bland, that loving everyone kind of means we know love no one, at least not well. Yes, we are to see everyone as our neighbors. I don't want to change that viewpoint. That's true. But I think as followers of Jesus in today's culture, We need to go back to the basics, kind of back to kindergarten in what it means to love our neighbors. And that means we should strive to know and to love our actual, physical neighbors. We all have them. No matter what your context is, they might be across the section from you, they might be across the street from you, or they might be across the hall from you. But every one of us, no matter what, has neighbors, people who live closest to us. Now, questions for you. Do you know those neighbors? Do you know their names? Do you know their stories? I'm going to share a few examples from my own neighborhood in McPherson because I'm in McPherson, or I live in McPherson, and here you all don't know any of them, right? So these, na- these stories are going to stay between you and me. But I'm going to tell some of my failures as a neighbor, and hopefully it helps you guys see ways you can do better than I have. So, we moved to Sonora Drive in McPherson on September of 2012. That's our house. Uh, And uh, those pictures kind of show how our family has changed over six years. Uh, Many of you don't see my boys very often, so in six years' time, they've grown up and changed quite a bit. But we moved into this neighborhood not knowing anyone who lived there. And instead of meeting people and learning to know them initially, I must confess that I started to make observations and form opinions about my neighbors before I ever actually met them. And maybe you would not do this, but that's how I started off. Uh, But, of course, these are some things that I learned to know about this neighborhood. So I want to tell you a little bit about these people who live right around me. First off, with the Busbys to the south of us, I could tell they were probably a retired couple. I noticed that they had uh, about six different recreational vehicles. There was a motorcycle, a boat, uh, a fifth-wheel camper, a big truck, a small truck, and an SUV, and there was just two of them. So that kind of told me some things about, you know, how they live their life. Of course, the driveway's full, the street has always got something parked out there, and uh, I didn't really know them at the time, but I just started to form some assumptions. I could tell that they weren't around a lot when it was winter time, 
So I kind of figured they were going someplace warmer uh, to escape the Kansas winter, and sure enough, that's kind of some of the things that I was observing. Uh, then to the north of us was the Schmitz. Uh, the Schmitz seemed to be a young couple, pretty early in their marriage. Uh, I knew that the guy liked golf because I could see him coming and going with golf clubs. And every time he mowed the yard, he always put in his earbuds. Uh, so even when I tried to say hello, uh, you know, it didn't work. Uh, and that, they just kind of were coming and going. They were always a family that seemed like they would push the garage door button as they were driving in, right? So the door is going down as they're going into the garage. And so I just never felt like there was an opportunity to talk to them. Uh, they didn't seem very interested in relationships. That's kind of the way it appeared to me. Then there are the family across the street, the Williams. And the Williams, uh, the, all I noticed about them is they had a garage that was packed full of stuff. And it was, the door was always open. And so I would notice this about them. And uh, actually, one time when we were having a garage sale, I had people ask me, are they having a garage sale too? And I was like, no, 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 that's just their things. Like, don't go over there and try to rummage through them. Um, but uh, that, I started to notice there was cars coming and going a lot. And I started to notice there was lots of young kids, but then there was like teenage kids. And there was lots of kids. And I didn't quite just feel like a chaotic household. That's kind of my observations, my judgment, I guess, of what was going on there. I didn't know them, didn't know their story, but that's just kind of what I started to perceive. Now, through the last few years, as uh, our staff started to go to centralized conferences, and some of you even had a chance to go along to those, and we adopted this vision to be missionaries where we live, work, and play, uh, we started to share some tools, some resources of how to be good neighbors. And so for Jody and I, we started to adopt those tools into our life and started to use those things to help us to get to know our neighbors. Uh, and so what I actually learned about my neighbors from what I observed or made opinions about was actually quite different. And so let me tell you a little bit about my neighbors. The Busbys, Larry and Janet, are retired, and they are avid NASCAR fans. They love to travel with their camper, and they have a boat that they like to go fishing at Marion Lake. But they have been staying home a lot more in the last year, and I noticed that. And when I asked about it, I found out that they were caring for their son, Brent, and their granddaughters after the recent death of their daughter-in-law, Candy, who'd had a difficult battle with cancer. And I started to get to know them and engage them on a different level. The Schmitz, who live to the north of us, that's Tim, Bailey, Zoe, and Monroe, are now some of our closest friends and part of the campus in McPherson. They stuck to themselves when we first moved in because the twin girls, who were born prematurely, were very susceptible to illness, and so they stayed inside and kept them protected from people and interactions. When a windstorm blew a tree down between our houses and landed on the fence between our properties, we got to know them, found out they had these girls. Today, we have the key to their house. They know the code to our front door. We share tools and coolers and crockpots and folding tables and chairs, and we help each other with tasks, and we've spent countless hours together in the front yard and in each other's homes. And the Williams, across the street, Kyle, Jennifer, and a whole lot of kids, well, the reason they have so much stuff in their garage, especially furniture and bikes and kids' clothing and things like that, is because they're foster parents. Today, their kids are often in our garage, borrowing toys, petting our dog, and playing with our boys in the front yard. We went trick-or-treating together a couple years ago and got to know each other on a different level. And we've even had a chance to help them with, through the care portal, provide some furniture 
when they were able to take in an infant sibling of one of the girls that they have at their home. Wow, was I wrong. All the impressions that I had about these people. Today we know and we love them. Not just because they are neighbors, but because they are our neighbors. We know that this is our spot to try to bring more of heaven to earth. Now the first step in that growth to become better neighbors started with this little card that you have in your bulletin today. I want you to pull that out with me right now and take a look at this. Some of you may remember a card similar to this one about four years ago because we used it as a church to help us get more acquainted with our neighbors. Jody and I took this to heart. We used this card. We wrote down the neighbors. We found out more about the neighbors and were able to use this to help us actually call people by name when we saw them. I want you now to take just a moment, grab a pen in front of you, and see how many neighbors you can write down the first names of. Right now, just go ahead, grab your pens, take these cards, and start writing down. Who do you know in your neighborhood? Who lives next to you on each side? Who lives behind you? Who lives across the street from you, in front of you? Start to write a few of those down. Some of you may get stumped very quickly. Maybe you only know zero to two of those neighbors. Maybe you're new to that neighborhood. Okay? Some of you might know, let's say, three to five of those households, and you've got a few of those names down. You can't remember the wife's name, but you got the husband or whatever. Start there. Some of you may know, know six to eight of them. You might know all of them, which is great. Write those names down in those boxes. Use this as a practical way to help you get more acquainted with your neighbors. We also have a couple of practical tools to help you try to get more acquainted. First is the boxes of brownies. You probably saw them in the foyer or in the fellowship hall, and you heard the story from the journey today about McPherson and Yoder campuses. We now have boxes of brownies for all of you here at the South Dutch campus. So I want every household here to take home a box of brownies, bake the brownies, and choose to take them to a neighbor. A neighbor you don't know at all, a neighbor you don't know very well, a neighbor that you didn't get along with when you first moved in, whatever that is. But take home a box of brownies and try it out. See what God might do if you make yourself available in your neighborhood. I kind of feel like Oprah today. You get brownies and you get brownies. Everybody gets brownies. Right? So take a box of brownies with you today. Second thing to do. We've encouraged this before and it's coming back again to host a neighborhood party. This changed things dramatically for us when we started to host neighborhood parties on our street. And I believe so strongly in this, the church believes so strongly in this, that we think neighboring is so important that we'll pay for the invitations and the hot dogs for you to have a neighborhood party. Just call the office and tell them you need to get reimbursed. We'll take care of it. We want you to engage in your neighborhood because we believe that's the place where God has planted you as a missionary. And you have an opportunity to bring his kingdom right there. First and foremost, I encourage you to take this grid with you today to keep working on adding names to it, to tape it to your refrigerator, to put it on your lawnmower, to stick it in your glove box as a cheat sheet so when you're driving past someone's house and you're like, I, I know that name, I gotta... Oh yeah, hi Bill, how are you? Whatever that takes to help you get more acquainted. Use these tools and see how God will use you. Then start to pray for them once you know some of their names Choose someone to pray for. You might not know anything about what they're going through. 
But begin to pray for them. Pray for an opportunity that you could interact with them, connect with them on a deeper level. Make yourself available to them. Try borrowing something from them rather than waiting for them to come borrow from you. Whatever you do in your neighborhood, walking your dog, riding your bike, doing yard work, God can use you to bring more of heaven to your neighborhood. So, we're going to take just a minute to watch a short video of somebody who's doing this in another place in the country. And it'll just give you an idea of how it might impact your neighborhood if you did the same. Let's take a look. I always thought I'd go far away on mission. I really did. I really thought my calling would be international, and I never, never in a million years thought that the Lord would ask me to walk outside of my door in the mission field where I live and get to know my neighbors. I'm Kristen Shell, and I live in Austin, Texas. I am a wife and a mother of four children. Any given day, I am in the kitchen or in the minivan. I am active in the kids' school. I'm a writer, and I volunteer at church. We've been in this neighborhood um, almost 10 years. I always knew we were supposed to love our neighbors because that's the great commandment. But how you live that out day to day is hard, um, especially when you don't know your neighbors, which is the situation I was in. I did not know my neighbors. Sure, I knew you know a handful of them, and so there was this huge questioning, what do you want me to do, Lord? Here I am, Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to walk across the street and bang on doors? Do you want me to take cookies? What do you want me to do, Lord? God answers prayers in really winsome ways. I was hosting a party with a friend in our backyard and I didn't have any tables. And so I ordered a picnic table from Lowe's. And when it arrived two days later, I knew, I knew that for the purposes of the party, I was gonna have it in my backyard. But as soon as that party was over, I was moving that table in the front yard and it was gonna be a gathering place. And so I painted it turquoise, which is my favorite color. And I did, I put it outside underneath the tree in the front yard. It was awkward at first. I have this table, it's bright turquoise, it's sitting in the front yard, and now I'm like, well, now what do I do? So I took a whole bunch of stuff out with me. I took my phone and my journal and my computer, and I even, um, I had some art stuff that I was working on, because, you know, I needed to look like I was just doing something. By going out front, I was saying to God, here I am, Lord, your will be done. Go before, behind, and beside me into the neighborhood and that very day life changed and I met a neighbor within three hours of putting a table out in my front yard a lot has happened since putting the table out there there are a handful of women who are now very close friends who I did not know it has become kind of a gathering place. I'm Bob. This is my daughter, Peggy. <laughs> so one of the best things is just the sense of normal community, everyday life. The neighborhood kids come over. They'll do homework when the weather's pretty. We've had lemonade stands, hot cocoa stands. More intimately, um, it's a place where I can meet and have met neighbors um, who now pop by with coffee and just for 15 minutes, a, co a conversation over coffee that wouldn't have happened. 
the Lord has taught me and I am learning to be present. And that, it sounds like it should be a no-brainer, but listening is not um, a skill that came naturally at first to me, nor was being present. It's great to see you. Loving my neighbors has taught me how to love God better. It's drawn me into deeper relationship with Him. You don't need permission or a program to go outside and be who Christ has called you to be. When we open up our front door and we take three steps right out our front yard, good things happen. Open up your door and let God do the rest. Pretty cool, just uh, making one simple choice of moving a table from the backyard to the front yard and the way in which that has transformed her life and her neighborhood. You know, this series, we call it Neighboring, and it's taking this noun that we've known for a long time, neighbor, and adding an I-N-G to it because we recognize that this is something that has to be active. To see us to be a good neighbor, it takes intentional effort, positive actions, rather than just the absence of negative ones. I could stand up here and tell lots of stories of bad neighbors. You probably have some too. Things that haven't gone well with your neighbors. But the reality is we need to be, as followers of Christ, actively pursuing what it means to be good ones. We're called to know and to care for those who live near us, to make time for them, to listen to their stories and share authentically our own. You know, whoever Mr. Rogers was with, either on screen or in real life, that was the most important person at that moment. We see the same kind of thing in the great nun, Mother Teresa. She worked for more than six decades in India. And refusing to get overwhelmed by the masses of people who were in need, Instead, she chose to focus on each and every person that she came into contact with. This is something I know I struggle with constantly, to stay focused on one person, the person who's right in front of me now. You see, in this time and day and age where we are so connected, hyper-connected with our phones, I could call and talk to people and text and be in connection with people all over this country and even folks out of this country. And yet, we find that it is so distracting for many of us right in our own homes. This is what we see taking place in many families. Children being ignored because there's so much more interesting things, apparently, going on out there. What if we stop and pay attention to the person who's right in front of us? Start to rebuild that relationship. Because I know that if this is happening in families, I guarantee you it's affecting the way we are neighbors to each other. We're probably not paying much attention to the people who live next door. So why would it be any different? If we started to act this way, if we started to live this way, what would change? You see, Jesus is the ultimate neighbor. He taught Mr. Rogers and Mother Teresa how to live, and he wants to teach you and I too. He himself was often swarmed by the masses, yet he stopped and he paid attention to the individual in the crowd. The term to pay attention illustrates something very important because attention is actually very valuable. To pay attention to someone is to show them worth. Jesus paid attention to Zacchaeus, the tree-climbing tax collector. He paid attention to Nicodemus, the curious Pharisee who came to him at night. He paid attention to the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years who reached out and touched his cloak. 
He paid attention to the woman at the well and so many others who are recorded in the Bible. Jesus was a good neighbor to everyone he encountered. Now, you and I are not Jesus. There's probably no way we're going to be good neighbors to everyone we encounter. But what if we started to try and pay attention to one or two neighbors who live closest to us? What if we began to put those people's needs at times above our own? What if we began to understand their perspective and most of all, understand their intrinsic worth? Each one of those people who lived around us are worthy of our attention. They were worthy of Jesus' attention when he was on earth, worthy of his blood, because they were part of the image of God on earth. You know, a prime example of this is found in Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 25, where Jesus is approached by the rich young ruler, and he's asked the same question that sparks the Good Samaritan parable. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Right? This is the pressing question. And Jesus, as he always does, answers with more questions. And then it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now, I actually like the old King James Version on this passage because it says, Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Now, after that, he calls him to sell all his possessions and give it to the poor. But first, he fully recognizes his worth, beholding him as a child of God. That's what it means to behold someone, to see them through the eyes of Jesus, to love them as God loves them. Beholding comes before compassion, before correction, and most certainly before teaching. Notice how Jesus' heart is first moved by this man and what he is desiring. Before he calls him to sell his possessions and give them to the poor, he looks at him, he beholds him, and then he loves him. And you see, unfortunately, in our lives, the pace of life that we live and the consumer agendas that drive so much of our life, we're beholding products all the time, all the things that we want, instead of beholding people. What if we stopped and started to pay attention to the people that God has put closest to us? Seeing people without judgment, without expectations, without stereotypes, just like I did in my own neighborhood. The needs of our neighbors may be physical, like the wounded traveler that we see in the Good Samaritan. They might be spiritual, as we see here in the rich young ruler. But our first priority is to behold our neighbors, to see them with the eyes of God. When we start to do these things, then we earn the opportunity to serve them and perhaps even lead them into the kingdom of heaven. Neighboring is one very important way that we can bring heaven to earth to illustrate for the people who live closest to us that Jesus changes lives on this street. Because first and foremost, he's changing me. Take some time this week to simply behold your neighbors. If you don't already know their names, meet them. And then begin to pray for them. Pray for the opportunity to engage with them on a deeper level. Host a party. Take them some brownies. Or simply just try sitting on the front porch instead of the back deck. God will use you when you make yourself available to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you 
for your example to us of what it means to be a good neighbor, your, your teaching to us here in Scripture, to guide us into what it means to love our neighbors, to serve them, to show them what it means to be a part of your kingdom. And so, God, we ask that you would help us to behold people as you behold them, to love them the way you love them, rather than seeking our own agendas and beholding more stuff, God, this week, we ask that you would help us to just focus on the things that are most important to you. We thank you, God, for what you've had to say to us this morning and for these practical tools that we can use to reach our neighbors. Send us from this place ready to be available to you. In Jesus' name we pray this. And all God's people said,